0: Hi, I'm Simon Thiexton and welcome to the 2021 Thiexton's Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year. The way the global obsession with the crime genre continues to grow year on year is simply astonishing and this year's long list proves the remarkable talent on offer in crime writing from legends of the craft to eager-eyed newcomers. The short list is already too close to call so we encourage everyone to get voting. A hearty toast of Old Peculiar to all our long-listed authors for this coveted award and we look forward to what we know will be a fiercely fought competition. In the meantime I'm going to have a glass of Old Peculiar because they say an Old Peculiar and a crime novel go very well together. I'll tell you why if you come to the festival in July. Good health.
1: Hello, I'm Joe Haddow, and this is our series of interviews with the Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year Award, Longlistees, produced and curated by Harrogate International Festivals in partnership with the title sponsor, Theakston's Old Peculiar. And today I'm joined by best selling author Ian Rankin. Hello. Hello. How is Edinburgh? How are you? How have the last twelve months been in?
0: Uh, well, being a writer, I've uh, got a lot of work done because there's <laughs> been no traveling, no touring, very few festivals. So uh, there's nothing else to do. To escape the pandemic, all I can do is write. Yeah. So it's been like a little escape tunnel out of camp pandemic. And uh, A Song for the Dark Times was mostly written during the first lockdown. And then as soon as that was finished, I was approached to complete a novel by the great Scottish writer, William McIlvanny, who I had the pleasure of interviewing at Harrogate, Theakston's old Peculiar Crime Festival a few years ago. And so that kept me going for the rest of 2020. And since then, I've been working on some TV and stage play and bits and pieces. So busy, busy, busy.
1: You, you have been um, very busy and, and I very much enjoyed seeing some shots of Edinburgh uh, empty <laughs> which you've been posting it's it's quite refreshing to see the city like that
0: it's it's been another world really i mean yeah. the first lockdown specifically because the novelty value is there and walking up to the castle walking up and down the royal mile which is usually thronged with tourists and jugglers and mime artists you <laughs> uh, usually you've got to punch your way through to get anywhere you want to go empty uh, and i was wandering streets that i normally wouldn't go down because they would be so bustling and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if there'd been a few open pubs, Joe, it would have been perfect, yeah, uh, but, yep. it, but it wasn't quite perfect. And it still isn't. My favourite bars haven't quite reopened yet, so I'm hanging on in there a year or Yeah,
1: year here's on. to the next, what, two, two weeks, is it, or something? Till you can, it's a couple, of, it... a couple
0: of weeks before they can open indoors. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and congratulations on, on being long for A Song for the Dark Times, as you already mentioned. Um, let's just talk about the book. Uh, for those that may not have got to it, it's, it's a Rebus novel and we see him facing a, a very personal case in this one. Can you just set up the story for us?
0: I wanted to get Rebus out of his comfort zone and get me out of my comfort zone. And for several years now, his daughter has been living up in the far north of Scotland. Um, I got interested in internment camps. I'd started reading up on internment camps, which used to exist up and down the UK during World War Two. And we would put our neighbours uh, into them if they had a, a strange surname or they came from a different part of the world from us. So your local you know, Italian deli owner or the person who ran the German deli or the ice cream parlor or the Chinese or Japanese person who's lived in your community for 10 or 20 or 30 years or longer, suddenly found themselves internees. Um, And some of these camps, the remains of them still exist. And there's one in the north of Scotland. And I just looked around me and I thought this is pre-COVID. This was 2019. I thought the world is in a pretty dark place or we're heading for a pretty dark place, it seems to me. Um, all across the globe from wildfires in australia to what was happening in the white house i thought it's 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 a scary time mm. um and so that allowed me to look at something that i thought that kind of objective correlative of of world war ii internment camps allowed me to look at the way i thought the world was heading now
1: and, uh, the title seemed when i first heard <laughs> of the book seemed very relevant and you know but i imagine that came pre-pandemic as well didn't it?
0: It did. It wasn't the original title of the book. I'll let you know the secret. The original title of the book, when I delivered it to my agent, uh, had the word bullet in it. And he said, oh, the word bullet might put a few people off. By then, I had introduced a gun into the book, thinking if there's a word bullet in the title, I better have a gun in there somewhere. (laughs) And when he said, oh, let's change the title, let's look at something else. And then I suggested a song for the dark times. It was too late to take the gun out. It had become an (laughs) intrinsic part of the story. Um, So the gun was in there because it originally had a different title. Yeah, I mean, it's a quote from Bertolt Brecht, uh, you know, when the dark times come, will there be singing? Yes, there will be songs about the dark times. So it's like art in times of darkness still has to make itself. It still has to be made and be disseminate disseminated. So it's in some ways a strong and a powerful message, and uh, that resonated for me. I just thought, what a great title for a crime novel.
1: Yeah, and it is. You know, it's it's such a great title. And I remember seeing it when it first landed, thinking that that oh, he's been very clever there. Very (laughs) (laughs) clever there. Um, Yeah, the the pandemic has been you know, a time for art to shine, I would argue. And, and at a time when we've all needed it, we've needed books and music mm. and films and everything. Um And I've actually found myself being able to go back and listen to records, you know, start to finish. I feel like pre lockdown, I was maybe dipping in or, you know, changing, ch- listen to a few songs. I've actually sort of really got into the album listening again, which is, which I found mm-hmm. brilliant. And I know that you as a, huge music fan are always on the lookout for for new music and revisiting old. So have you, have you found that, that as music played an important part in the last year?
0: It's interesting because I almost had the, the opposite um, experience to you. What I found was like with books, I was, I was able to focus on reading a chapter at a time, but then my attention would drift away or what's happening in the news. What's happening with COVID. Right. Yeah. Have the rules yeah. changed at all? Do I need to check on things? And, um, And it was the same with music. I was listening to short bursts of different things. I was cherry picking. And what I did was I did something I thought I would never do. I bought a streamer and having bought a streamer and signed up to a a, a listening service, they would suddenly every Friday dump 30 or 40 brand new albums um, on your computer, on your device. Um, And so I would listen to a little bit of something and a little bit of something and a little bit of something. And I found a lot of new stuff that I'd not, you know, bands I didn't know and genres. I was listening to classical for the first time in a long time, Um, but little bits, little. And it's built up now and now I can read longer books. First, you know, COVID comes. Yay, I'm going to read Don Quixote and the Brothers Karamazov. (laughs) No, I was reading short books, most of which I'd already read. Uh, because that was all I could really deal with. And luckily, I'm now getting back into new books and longer books. And I'm also getting into longer listening sessions. And yes, I am still buying uh, physical records. Yesterday, I was out in town and went to a couple of record shops and ended up with a couple of vinyl LPs and a CD. So despite the streamer, which I said would save me money, I'm still going <laughs> out and buying the real thing.
1: Yeah. Good for you. Me too. Me too. It hasn't saved me any money. In fact, if anything, you discover something and think, oh, I better go get get the record now.
0: (laughs) That's what I do. It's almost the opposite of the dreaded Amazon. You know, people, bookshops get frustrated when people come in and then look on their phone and say, oh, it's five quid cheaper at Amazon. I do the opposite of that. I listen to stuff on streaming then think, I need to buy that. Uh, I'm not content just to stream it. I need the thing in my hands. I need the tactile sensation of maybe looking at the lyric sheet or just looking at the beautiful cover design and everything everything else, and actually then having it in my room so that it can say something about my personality. There's nothing worse than going to somebody's house and they've got no records or books. I know, because what, what do you look through? Yeah. How, do you, how do you build a profile You've got to talk someone? to them. You've got to talk to them. Oh, my God. I do to no. do that. <laughs> I just want to riffle through your LP collection.
1: <laughs> do you go do you go LPs or books first? I think I'd go bookshelves first, usually, and then on to uh, the it's season.
0: A tough call. Tough call. I guess books are more obvious. Um, yeah. You know, they've got bigger spines yeah. and you can see them more clearly. They're more in your face. You don't need but, to be quite as sort of invasive. No, the know. thing about LPs is when they're side on, of course, you can't really, riff, it's not like a record shop. People should have these racks in their homes so you can go go through them <laughs> properly. But when they're on a, a shelf, especially with my eyesight, now I'm in my 60s, I can't see what half of the spines <laughs> say, you know, which might be why I keep buying multiple copies of LPs, <laughs> Oh, I have got that. Oh, well.
1: Uh, Now, you're no stranger to this award, but um, it it must have felt good when you heard that you'd been longlisted. I mean, this is such a a huge award in in crime fiction circles.
0: Yeah, I was just reading in a newspaper this morning that this is something like the 12th time that I've been on a long list, which I hadn't realised. It's a lot of times on the long list. But the press release did also say I'd won it before, which is not true. I don't know (laughs) where they got that misinformation from. Fake news, Joe. Fake news. Never won It. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly strong list, but then this is an incredibly strong era for, for crime fiction. Um, Lots of, of young writers coming along with great new ideas, great new ways of telling stories. And, of course, you know, the crime novel flourishes and always has done because it takes on board the fears of its contemporary audience. And there's a lot that people are wary of and scared of at the moment and trying to make sense of. And reading crime fiction allows them to do that. So, you know, novels these days, it can be about the fact that you don't really know the person next to you Um, or or you meet someone you think is something, but there's something else because there's been a fake profile online or they've managed to hide their true identity. People are being spied on all the time by the products in their homes, Um, you know. CCTV is invasive, mobile phones have taken over our lives and we're a little bit wary and afraid of how much of our information and our true selves are being released willy-nilly to strangers around the world. Mm. And crime fiction has taken all this on and I think it's it's an incredibly strong list and, yeah, I'm very proud to be a part of it. And we missed
1: Harrogate last year, obviously, Mm. Looking likely we'll be back again, potentially uh, in in, in possibly a slightly different form, but looks like it's going ahead. And I just wonder what, you know, as someone who's been a lot uh, to a lot of festivals, but certainly been to Harriet a lot, you know, what, what are you looking forward to, you know, getting back to when we're allowed?
0: Well, I mean, I've done a few of these, well, quite a lot of Zoom festivals and Zoom interviews and what have you and bookshop events via Zoom. And it's just yeah. not the same. It's not the same. You know, when you're in a room with an audience, uh, everybody's reacting to, to what's being said, nodding, smiling, laughing, cheering, booing, whatever it happens <laughs> to be. You know, it's, it's live theatre. Uh, and it, it's, it's the same experience you would get by going to a, a, a piece of theater or a comedy show or whatever. There's a there's a sense of community. And that's what's missing from the online world is that real sense of of engaging with the moment uh, and being, you know, looking at the person next to you and nodding because you both agree with something or you disagree with something. Um, and I, I miss all of that. Uh, and that's before you factor in the bar. Uh, and and the, <laughs> yeah. the, the the helpings of Theakstons and uh, and and just milling around with 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 fans of the genre and with other other writers. And I think you remember about the writers is the writers are also all readers, and so they're wanting to meet authors they've not met before, but whose yeah. books they've enjoyed as well. So there's a chance to do that at a physical festival, which isn't isn't possible otherwise.
1: And th- you're so right about the audience as well, because especially at Harrogate, you know, they're always so engaged and you you, you get such a buzz from every event there, you know, it's, yeah, it always I, feels I, like there's an atmosphere.
0: I mean, you know, uh, William McElvaney, who's whose posthumous book I've just finished writing, it comes out in September, I interviewed him at, at, at Theakston's um, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now. And it was a Sunday morning, 10 a.m., first event in the big room, and we're in the green room backstage, and he's, you know, he's not been published for a long time. He's Really, his books have just come back into print, having been forgotten about as far as he's concerned. And he said, Ian, who's going to, you know, Harry get who's going to come and see a, <laughs> a, a Scottish author who's, you know, in their 70s and just written three crime novels a long time ago? And I said, well, let's wait and see, Willie, because I knew. And we walked into the room, and it was standing room only. There was 800 people in there. People were cheering <laughs> to the rafters as he walked the whole length of it. And I could see him elevate i could see him actually start to rise off the floor because he knew how much his books meant to this audience
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing isn't it oh, it's such a and so nice to be able to see that to, to know it was coming but also to see him have that reaction and how what i should ask you how how was it right you know sort of finishing this this book because it's you said it's coming out it's, it's can and get yeah. publishing it uh, in a couple of months aren't they
0: yeah, first of September, it's coming yeah. out. I mean, it was a huge challenge. Um, I'd only just literally just finished writing a song for the Dark Times and editing it. And then along came the offer from Canongate to read some manuscript pages um, that had been left by Willie and his widow had typed up from his right. handwritten notes. Uh, and they said, you know, do you think there's a book in this, a, a novella? What do you think? Could it be turned in? So I read it a few times through, and I said, "Yeah, you could. If you did X, Y, and Z, you could you could probably get a whole book out of it." And he said, "Well, great. Well, his widow would like you to have a go." And there was a deep intake of breath because, I mean, what a responsibility. But I, you know, I knew in my heart I wanted to give it a go because I wanted to find a new audience for Willie's books. Mm. Um, so I reread and reread and reread the three Laidlaw novels, tried to get inside his head, his style, his 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 philosophy. I wanted it to be an active of ventriloquism, Joe. I wanted it to be his world, his voice. Yeah. And when his widow saw the book and read it, she sent me a lovely handwritten letter to say that it was like he was in the room with her. Um, oh. She couldn't see the join. She couldn't see where it stopped being him and started being me, which is fantastic. And it was like his voice was in her head again. So that was that was it for me. That's a sign that the book is a success yeah. um, because <laughs> because she likes it.
1: That's so lovely, isn't it? And what a a privilege, you know, to be able to do that as well. Um, Well, Ian, we we look forward to that book in September. We very much look forward to hopefully seeing you at, at Harrogate or, you know, at the Oxford Bar or wherever it may be <laughs> when we're allowed. Uh, and just a reminder, all of our long list of books are available to buy from W.H. Smith. And if you've already read Ian's book, which many of you will have, and you know you want him to be the winner, the first time that he will win this, uh, fake news, uh, head over to CrimeAward.com where you can cast your vote. Lovely to see you in. Hopefully it will be in person uh, very soon.